the free for all roundtable. Round two. Let's meet the panelists. Uh, Jason Agnew is here, uh, News Talk 1010 show host and personality, Pavan Brach, serial entrepreneur in marketing, tech, and real estate development. And help me out here, Joe, because uh, I. Th- is Chloe Brown here? No, it's Larissa Waller. Today. It is Larissa Waller. Nice to have you back. How are those Soviet sanctions? Uh, they're still there. So, um, you know, status quo for me. Does it actually interfere with anything for you? Like, not really. I get a little more uh, fan mail off my Twitter to tell me how wonderful I am for supporting Ukraine. <laughs> okay. um, I'm kidding. Uh, the Russian trolls keep an extra eye on me, I think. And I think that's it. Okay, so uh, let's dispense with the Integrity Commissioner's report uh, on John Tory. And Pavan Brach, I'll start with you. I'm not trying to be dismissive. I just believe, okay, we got the report. We're going through it. We're talking about it. But I sense that since he quit, a lot of people are like, I'm over this. Completely agree. Uh, no, I think it's I think it's in the past. They have to move on. It's unfortunate that the the election, you know, the by election cost us, you know, cost the city of Toronto, you know, maybe 10, 15 million dollars. Uh, but uh, that's in the past. We've got a new uh, council. And frankly, it's just not a priority. We've got so many major issues that we have to deal with. We just have to move on. Although if we want to do a little tongue clucking or clicking Jason Agnew, I guess we can. There's some stuff in there. No, I'm not. You know what? And I would normally be one to go at something like this and nitpick. But in this case, let's just move along. This city's got a lot of problems and this shouldn't be one of them. Although, Larissa, I think in some cases, the coverage of John Tory and of this report and of the the whole business um, may be shaded by the fact that almost everybody in the media and politics considers John Tory to be a friend. Yeah, you know, I was involved in the municipal election and uh, what our polling showed us and showed everybody was that Torontonians like John Tory. And we could talk about the fact that the city was, you know, a dumpster fire. There's so many things wrong. But when we were coming up with a communication strategy, our polling showed us don't knock John Tory because people still like him. And I think nobody wants to talk about this. And in Canada, especially, we don't really cover the personal lives of politicians as a salacious news story. So I think people are happy to move on. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think as of the 11th of October, there may be a couple of speeches here or there, but I think we're done with it. And then, you know, John Tory keeps his head down for a little while and then returns to some form of public service. We'll find out what it is when it happens. Uh, let's talk about grocery prices. Uh, Minister Champagne, who incidentally, we can all chuckle, uh, apparently his nickname I found when I was in Ottawa last weekend is Bubbles, because of course his name is Champagne, but also he's got a very bubbly personality. Um, he said yesterday that we should watch for prices to start coming down soon. Uh, Jason Agnew, are you buying? Uh, I, I'm watching. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching. I'm waiting. Uh, and um, I'm not seeing. So bubbles at this point, uh, the bubbles are going to pop if we don't see this happen. Larissa, it should be noted. I know some people complain via text. They say nobody ever said they were bringing prices down. They said they were going to stabilize them. So I, I guess most consumers would hope they stabilize them lower. Yeah, I mean, but we never really see prices come down. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to sound a little bit partisan here, um, but there's one big thing the government could do to bring down grocery prices, and that is talk about carbon pricing, and they don't want to do that. Uh, so I think anything else is sort of tinkering around the edges, and I've got very little confidence that prices will come down. Okay, Pavan, you're a part-time farmer, so you're in the food <laughs> chain. What are your thoughts on the price of groceries? 
Well, I completely agree with Larissa. I mean, it, at least in the short term, you know, there are no electric tractors uh, that, that that are worth their weight. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the impact of fuels uh, is uh, has been substantial. We're a massive country. Uh, we've got farmers who are dealing with these costs. I mean, and and we've got, you know, we've we, we have these grocers trotted out like the boogeyman for, for the cop being the cause of food inflation. But we do have to look at our input costs, you know, and, and fuel is such a significant issue. Issue and the Trudeau, Gilbert, Gilbert kind of uh, government do not want to budge on it, and and uh, it's it's substantial. And you know, I, I would note that there are a lot of progressive countries like Australia, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Germany uh, that are providing uh, cuts to their carbon taxes right now to get through this difficult period of time. And so, why are we being so absolutely righteous about this stuff at this point in time is is mystifying. And I was encouraged though uh, to see uh, a federal. Liberal MP vote against his party yesterday uh, on the matter of carbon taxes and stand up for for common sense. I think just in the short term, we we know carbon, we know the environment's an issue, but if it's driving up our food prices, which is driving up our interest rates and leaving people homeless, then I don't know what the what the logic is. Let me stick so with you. What about the private sector then? What about the private sector? Like, where is the grocery retailer that finally steps up and says, "You know what? We're going to take a hand in this." And I know it's not going to happen because the rich just get richer, but just say, even if it happens to be, so let's use PC as the example, and that no-name brand yellow label that we all see, and I know they did a price freeze on them, but why not take basic necessities like that and that particular brand and say, all right, this, we're, we're taking, we're lowering prices on these particular items, on this particular brand, just as some uh, show of good faith to the consumer, because I don't think I've ever seen that done. Good point. Okay, listen, let's move on to Airbnb and how Ottawa is looking at limiting Airbnbs to free up rentals, because if you're not doing day-to-day or night-to-night rentals, then obviously somebody can move in for the month or the year. But Larissa Waller, I thought this was a municipal affair. I don't know how it's a federal affair. How does Ottawa order Vancouver to reduce its Airbnbs? Yeah, okay, so I need to disclose I work with Airbnb as a consultant. Um, but it also means I know a lot about it. And if if you look at short-term rental regulation in Toronto and Vancouver, which has really, really regulated short-term rentals, there was zero impact on vacancy and rents went up. So the data shows that this doesn't work. Um, the tools that the feds have to do this would be kind of like tax incentives or like, you know, you know, regulatory tools to make uh, municipalities regulate short-term rentals virtually every municipality already does with with some sort of limitation imposed. Uh, to me, this feels really just like a public relations exercise that they can say, we did that, when really what they have to do is work on supply. Short-term rentals will not impact rental supply. The data shows that. Jason Agnew, I like Airbnb and VRBO, but I also am aware that it means that you know, uh, an apartment unit or a condo or even a house is not available for somebody to actually live in it. Yeah, and we're also seeing complaints around areas, around uh, particular uh, units that are being used for this just by neighbors as well. So it can be a headache, but ultimately it's not necessarily the neighbors that are controlling this, it's the owner of the unit itself. Pavan? 
Yeah, I mean, I just, of course, I'm in real estate as well. So I have, you know, some conflicts there. But I would say that uh, to my point of view would be that the government is doing what they just did with the grocers. They're just trotting out uh, another boogeyman uh, for for this national housing crisis that we have. And they're blaming it on Airbnb. And I think to answer your question, John, they're they're leveraging federal monies that they're giving to cities and provinces, but cities specifically. And they're saying, if you want that money, we need to see you take action on that. So they're kind of they're kind of doing a, some leveraging on that uh, on the use of those monies. But I think, uh, you know, ultimately, it's a drop in the bucket. Uh, it, it is not addressing the core issues. And, and it's the government deflecting uh, and picking a different uh, person to attack or organization to attack. Martin Ray Cohen writes an account of a summit that he was hosting about anti-Semitism. And the participants were saying that it's on the rise in Canada. Jason, I'll start with you on this one. I would offer that all kinds of hate are actually on the rise in Canada, including homophobia and uh, anti-Muslim behavior the list the list keeps coming john yeah it's just uh, more and more divisive it's more and more angry i don't think that this is uh just anti-semitism you're right it's right across the board anything that can be hated shall and will be hated yeah Pavan brach it strikes me that these days it's not even dog whistles anymore people are just out and out promoting hatred I, I guess it's open. I, I think, uh, you know, I think it's ironic that you've probably, somebody's probably got their finger hovering over a button right now as I speak. So if I said something that was in any way racist or, <clears throat> excuse me, inappropriate, you'd hit a button and you'd blank it out. But, uh, you know, meanwhile, we've got social media that's running completely unfettered, uncontrolled, despite all this talk about new legislation. And and we're, we obviously are seeing massive amounts of open dialogue about things that I think most of us would consider inappropriate and, and incorrect. So, you know, it's sad to see, as I like to say, four billion years of evolution wiped out by four social media apps. But uh, unfortunately, I think we're, we're seeing, a, a you know, an uncontrolled social media that, uh, that the government hasn't had the courage to take on yet. Yeah, Larissa, it just seems we, you know, stepped across the Rubicon and now all kinds of things. They're not, they're not acceptable, but they're expressed out loud. Yeah, I think people feel emboldened to um, share really unsavory views on social media platforms, especially when your identity can be hidden. But I want to go back to the anti-Semitism piece because I agree that hate across the board is up. But anti-Semitism is something Jewish communities have been fighting, um, you know, for for decades. And I've got friends whose kids go to Jewish day schools and they hire extra security and they're scared for their kids' safety because anti-Semitism often comes with violence. And I think that that's pretty unique um, as a, a whole community uh, that they they live with that constant fear every day. And I think uh, we have a real lack of education over things like the Holocaust and and things like hate crimes that I think that the government and education systems bear a responsibility to bring that back into the curriculum. Yeah. Well, Larissa, I think that applies to Islamophobia, LGBTQ concerns as well. I think that is right across the board. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with I'm you, not Jason. Disagreeing. But, yeah, I'm not disagreeing yeah. with that. I'm just saying the article today was about anti-Semitism and you know, that's just a fear that my like my community and my friends feel every single day. But I would agree with you, Jason, that um, and, and yes, this doesn't exclude all the other forms of hatred or diminish them. Um, but the people, for example, protesting about drag queen book reading or transsexual washrooms, it, it, you know, they'll claim to be advocating for the rights of children, but they're really just promoting the same old hate. 
Um, listen, not a lot of time still on the clock. Uh, business owner hires ChatGPT for customer service and fires the humans. Pavan, you're an entrepreneur. I don't know if you do customer service. You probably do it personally. But I think this <laughs> is going to come back and bite this guy in the butt. Yeah, well, it's an, it's an unavoidable trend. Um, you know, I, I came back and told the kids that, you know, it's unbelievable the power of, of uh, G, GPT. Uh, they, they You're able to type in complex business cases, questions. So handling customer service issues is not, not an issue. It is going to be here to stay. I would say quickly that there is a big danger that a lot of corporations are starting to trust these GPT organizations, some of which are owned by what I would call friendly corporations and some aren't. So I think there's going to be a big trend now to kind of protect corporations from a, a need for corporations to be careful about all the data that they do share with ChatGPT or other GPT operations because uh, there's a significant exposure there. Thank you all, Pavan Brach, Larissa Waller, and Jason Agnew. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.